And in connection with Lord's Day 48, we'll turn to two passages. First, Revelation 21, and then secondly, Revelation 22. Revelation 21, we'll read the first four verses. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more for the former things have passed away. And then we turn to the next chapter, Revelation 22, and we'll read verses 7 to 21. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. Then he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near that the evildoers still do evil and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. 
He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Thus far the scripture reading. Let us now sing God's praise with Psalm 96, 48. Question and answer 123. This Lord's Day continues the discussion and the explanation of the Lord's Prayer. And Lord's Day 48 asks, what is the second petition? Your kingdom come, that is, so rule us by your word and spirit that more and more we submit to you. Preserve and increase your church. Destroy the works of the devil, every power that raises itself against you and every conspiracy against your holy word. Do all this until the fullness of your kingdom comes, wherein you shall be all in all. After the sermon, let us sing hymn 67. Hymn 67 stands as 1, 2, 3, and 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior commanded us to pray to the Father, your kingdom come. Our Savior also commanded us in Revelation 22 to say, let him who hears say, Come. When you compare these two prayers of our Savior, your kingdom come and come, then the conclusion must be that these two prayers are in essence the same. After all, to pray to the Father that his kingdom arrive in full glory and splendor is at the same time to pray for the coming of the Lord Jesus on the clouds of heaven. For only when Christ returns to earth in triumph, only then will the kingdom be delivered to the Father so that God be all in all. Then Christ's work will be completely finished, for then all his enemies will have been subjected. As we read in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 28, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 28, when he has done this, that is, put all his enemies under his feet, then the Son himself will be subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. And so praying for the Father's kingdom to come and for Father's glory as king, praying such a prayer means praying for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this afternoon, let us therefore consider this petition, your kingdom come as a prayer for the return of our Savior. And so that is our theme for this afternoon. The prayer for the kingdom is a prayer for Christ's coming, come Lord Jesus. And this prayer has in view the present reality, and secondly, it has in view the future hope. So the theme is the prayer for the kingdom is a prayer for Christ's coming, Come, Lord Jesus. This prayer has in view the present reality and secondly, the future hope. 
This prayer for Christ's coming is a prayer that belongs to the time in which we live. And as we saw this morning, we are living in the final age. And now when the prayer, come Lord Jesus, come is prayed, then our Savior notes in Revelation 22, it is the Spirit and the Bride who pray this prayer. In other words, the Bride, the Church, cannot pray this prayer on her own. She cannot pray this prayer for the coming of the Savior in her own strength. No, this prayer is the fruit of the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit of Pentecost. It's the Spirit and the Bride who pray, Come, Lord Jesus. And so this prayer is a gift of the Spirit. He is the one who works that holy longing for the return of our Savior in our hearts. And he is the one who, by the word, shows the church and reminds us, remember, you're living in the final age. The next big event is the return of the Savior. And Christ has also reminded us of this reality when he, for example, said at the Last Supper, do this until I come. That is to be our life perspective now, our hope, the coming of our Savior. We are in the final age, and everything is now directed to that glorious day of his return. He has promised it, has he not? And therefore the Spirit and the church pray, come. That prayer does not ascend and leave this earth in vain. This prayer of the bride for the coming of her beloved Lord and bridegroom is a prayer that is heard in heaven and that is being responded to in heaven. And before the scriptures are completed, Christ instructs the apostle John to write that he who dwells on high hears this prayer and is doing something about it. For what do we read in scripture? In the last chapter, verse 20, we read, He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Or as it can also be translated, I am coming quickly. Notice, Christ does not say, I will come quickly or I will come soon. No, I am coming soon or I am coming quickly. In other words... He's on his way. He wants us to know that praying for his coming therefore has relevance. It has significance, not just for the future, but also for now, the present time. For Christ says, when that prayer is being prayed, be assured that I hear it. I'm on my way. I am coming, and I'm coming soon, quickly. I suppose a skeptic could say, well, the church, the bride of Christ, has been reading that message of our Lord for almost 2,000 years now. And isn't this assurance that he comes quickly? Isn't that assurance not a little bit deceptive? I am coming soon. But the bride, the church, has meanwhile been praying this prayer for two millennia and waiting and waiting for centuries for that great day of the arrival when she can sit 
at the wedding feast with the bridegroom. And we're still waiting. Is Christ's assurance not a little bit deceptive? No, it is not, considering the situation as it is. Let's begin with a very human example, and it's only an example. It hardly does justice to Christ's position. But for example, today there is more and more contact between the Canadian Reformed Churches and our sister churches in Australia. Some of those contacts lead to marriage. Now take, for instance, the situation that a bridegroom in Australia phones his bride in Canada and says, I'm coming quickly. I'm coming soon. But that doesn't mean he's in Canada immediately. There are quite some things involved. He has to arrange for leaving the country, which may not be easy in view of his commitments and for the preparations that need to be made, such as getting a passport, meeting visa requirements, etc. And then he has to get the tickets. And when the trip itself finally starts, it's not a simple matter of going on an airplane and disembarking at the destination. No, he may need to change flights. Planes need to be refueled. But eventually, he will see his bride in Canada. And he could say in all honesty when he was on the phone from Australia, I'm coming soon. For he came as quickly as possible. And the bride understands. And no true bride would accuse her beloved of deception. Well, so in a much richer way, it is with Christ and the church, with us as bride and Christ as bridegroom. Christ said many years ago, I am coming. I'm on my way. Indeed, the final book of the Bible starts with that theme. As we read in Revelation 1, look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. The message is clear. He's coming. He's on his way. But the Lord also shows in the book of Revelation what is all involved in his coming. That is, in essence, what the book of Revelation is all about. He is coming, but in accordance with what is written in the word, in accordance with what he has told his bride in the scriptures. And as we read the final chapter, he warns, don't take anything away from that. Don't mentally exclude some things from that, as if, they're not meant for us or not meant for the coming Christ. No, everything recorded in the book has to take place first in history, in the history of the church and in the history of the world before the Savior comes. There are no shortcuts. And God also says, don't add to it. He comes soon. Don't think it takes longer than he says it will. He comes and is coming, just as he said he would. The book of Revelation tells us how he is coming. There is no deception involved. Indeed, he is the true witness. And when he speaks of his coming, he says, as we read in Revelation 20, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Well then, 
What is all involved before the bridegroom and the bride can feast in that great wedding celebration? What's involved? What is Christ busy with in his coming? What are we praying for when we pray, Father, your kingdom come? Yes, what do we really pray for when we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come? What is involved? When the Lord Jesus gives his testimony that he is coming quickly, then he says in Revelation 22, verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to you to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. In other words, Christ wants us to realize that if we are to understand his coming, we must know, first of all, that Christ is king. The king who has won the victory of the kingdom for the Father. He has won that victory as a descendant of David. He has won it on the cross. He is the king who, as son of God, worked and labored for a new creation and who is still busy with that. Now, it took God but six days to create this world. And it only took one deed of man to ruin it. But God, in his great plan of redemption, has an extensive program for the renewal of all things. God did not say, as he could have, for he is sovereign, well, let's just do away with this world, start all over, and in six days we'll have a new creation. No, he did not do that, even though I suppose he could have. But he did not, because God wanted to save this creation, this world that he had initially made. And therefore he sent his son into this world. And Christ died to save the church. He died to save the new mankind. And his people, the new human race, must now all be gathered together. According to his own sovereign plan, the Lord works and the Lord hastens. But the program of which the book of Revelation speaks and writes is a very extensive program. For in all the events that are occurring, God is preparing for that great day of Jesus Christ. God in his sovereign wisdom has decided to take many years for that preparation. After all, he wants to gather his church, an innumerable multitude of which not one child of his is to be excluded. And so he prepares his kingdom also in gathering his church. And as God gathers his own for, for that great day, he also judges the world, which is ripening for the great day of judgment and wrath. And therefore, great and momentous events are taking place. In telling of his coming, the Lord Jesus speaks in the book of Revelation of blood, fire, and smoke. He speaks of tribulations, tears, and anguish, revolutions, disasters, famines, woes. It is all a witness of the great court trial of the ages, a court trial that God has with this present world. 
God is gathering his church, but he's also judging the nations. If we but see it in faith. All this is part of Christ's great program for the renewal of all things. And he does that program as sovereign Lord and King according to his timetable. From the events that take place in the world, our God is forcing men and women to a decision. Will you join the cause of Christ's kingdom or will you seek the new world as man dreams of it? That is the decision that one is forced to make again and again. And it is God who is forcing the decision. Of course, the bitter irony is that much of the tribulation that is coming over this world is a direct result of man's abandoning the good law of God and seeking to make his own heaven on earth. Our society, which is becoming pagan, is consciously rejecting God's norms and God's kingdom, his kingdom of peace. And our society is seeking its own kingdom of peace according to its own rules, which really are no rules. The fruits of man's endeavor to establish a perfect world are not all that promising. But God is in control. And as he gathers his church, he judges the world. Indeed, he uses for his purpose the terrible trends and events of the day. And you can think of trends like the undermining of the family unit, the loss of morals, even in public life, the promotion of gay rights, basically gay sin, the catastrophe of abortion, wars and rumors of wars, all these things which man is bringing upon himself as he seeks his own kingdom of peace in opposition to God's kingdom. And God uses all these events and trends to confront men and women today with the choice. Will you continue to strive against the Lord and his anointed? Or will you submit to his rule? We can think here of Psalm 2. Remember in Psalm 2 how the Lord holds our rebellious postmodern society in derision. He laughs at futile attempts by man today to establish a perfect kingdom of peace in this world, a just society. He laughs at a society that thinks its own wisdom is what will do it without God. When it comes down to it, we as believers in the Lord God Almighty we don't need to worry where this world is going to. We know this world is going to judgment for its sins and its rebellion against the Most High. But God is king. He'll have the last word. He will not be confounded. His creation and his people will be redeemed. And therefore, when our Savior testifies of his coming in the book of Revelation... He gives testimony of his Davidic kingship and he alludes to all what is written in the book. It will all happen. Don't discount or subtract any of it. And the Lord also warns, don't add to what is written in the book. 
the events of this last age will all occur exactly as has been foretold. For all the events also of our day are ultimately part of God's great plan and work of redemption. It all needs to happen. It is part of the program of the coming of the Lord. And he comes quickly so that the wicked be judged and the church be gathered and kept sheltered under the wings of the Almighty in safety unto that great day. When we reflect on this sober reality, this reality of real hardships and real trials that the book of Revelation speaks of in connection with the coming of Christ, then one can see again why indeed it says, the spirit and the bride pray, come. What human being could of himself dare to pray for the return of our Savior? Think of it. Who could of himself pray for Father's kingdom, knowing that he's praying, therefore, for all those terrible things to happen, as are written up in the book of Revelation? It is a fruit of Pentecost that the desire is in our hearts for the coming of the Savior. It is a gift of God, the Holy Spirit, that we can pray, that we can dare to pray. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. There are quite some consequences involved with that prayer when it's answered. For we are literally praying, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And therefore, finish off the program of your return quickly. Let the judgments come over this world. They will affect us too, in one way or another. Christ even said there will be persecution, war, hunger, woes, and tribulations. But we, in essence, pray, let them come if necessary over us and our children. But come, Lord Jesus, come. How can one pray that? Only in the power of the Holy Spirit, only in faith given to us by the Spirit, the faith that all will work for the good of those who love the bridegroom, those who in faith pray the prayer, your kingdom come, know that their beloved will indeed work everything for the good of his bride. For he who is coming is now king already, who has won the victory on the cross. It is in the sure knowledge of faith that everything is under the control of the risen and victorious Christ, so that we can pray, come, Lord Jesus. We know that he is our beloved, our bridegroom. He will not hurt his bride. Rather, he will gather her and seat her without spot and wrinkle at the wedding feast. She will, in the end, arrive unharmed. It is with that sure realization that the church responds in faith to Christ's words, I am coming soon, with the words, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Yes, so be it. So in faith the church, yes, so we can accept the consequences, the real possibility of suffering and hardship. The bride of Christ knows what awaits her. It is not a bed of roses. 
The book of Revelation makes that clear. But the church also knows Christ is king. He's in control. Yes, as Revelation 22 puts it, he's the Davidic king. And notice how Revelation 22 verse 16 uses the human name of Jesus when it describes him as king. Jesus is king. He who is human, who is of our flesh and blood, who knows our human needs, he is the one who is now ruling. He is the one who guides world history, our history, our lives. And he, as a human king, will see to it that it does not become too much for us, for he knows human flesh. He rules with a view to the new creation and with a view to the gathering of his church. He rules. He pushes history to the end and judges the world. When we see this, then we realize what we need for our life here on earth. We need faith, lots of it, to keep that glorious reality of the Lord Jesus in front of us always. We need godly trust in God. He who is our brother of the same flesh, Jesus, he rules. With our physical eye, we cannot see him. Indeed, we, with our human limitations, cannot even imagine that the Lord Jesus, our Savior, is enthroned on high because it often seems as if the devil is running the business. And therefore, when we pray, come, Lord Jesus, may so the kingdom of the Father come, then we, in effect, also pray, as the catechism puts it, rule us by your word and spirit that we may submit ourselves more and more to you. Make us more and more citizens of your kingdom that we in faith may see that you are our king and that we do, that we know that you do know our human needs, even though according to the flesh, it sometimes doesn't look like it. And then we also in effect pray, preserve and increase your church. Keep us in your grace, in your kingdom, under your rule. Those prayers, as explained in our catechism, are not offered in vain. The Lord hears those prayers. He intercedes for us at the Father's right hand. He hears and he has heard them. And what has he done? He has given to us his word and his spirit. We are therefore equipped with the word and spirit for this final age with all its challenges. If we but know the word, and let the lamp of the word shine in the darkness before us. And then no matter how dark it gets, the light of God will be at hand. And therefore how important it is for us to read and to reread the scriptures. We must know the scriptures. We can't do without the word. It is to be our food and drink. It is the final age. It is as a great letter that the bridegroom has sent to his bride. We need to read it and reread it over and over again. Reading the word stimulates our love for Jesus and allows us to hear what he has to tell us and enables us to see that he is indeed finishing the work he started. He comes as quickly as possible. And so through the word and spirit, our God in heaven helps us 
to sustain the temptations of our time. He helps us by so submitting us to his good rule. For when we submit to his good rule, then we see the false spirits and we see the spirits of rebellion. If we live close to the word of God, then we can start to understand more and more that ultimately the great issue of our times is the struggle against the beast, Satan, the dragon, who struggles against God and his coming. That is the issue in all the events that take place. But there's no one who can stop our Lord and King from coming and doing what he will do, judge the nations and renew this world. He's on his way. Satan may try to prevent it, but if we know the word of God, then we are comforted. Because God's words tells us that Satan is very angry right now. And when an enemy is cornered, as Satan is, then many strange things can happen. God warns us that mighty signs and wonders will be done by him as if he's an angel of light. He will try, if possible, if that were possible, to lead even God's children astray. But if we know the word, then we are comforted because God is king. And we can learn to accept history as it occurs as coming under his sovereign rule. Indeed, in faith, we can even start, <laughs> even start to see something of the great acts of God when we listen to the news or read the papers. God is in control. I once heard it said, if you read the newspapers properly, you can hear the footsteps of our coming Savior. And it's true. The chaos of our present world, it has all been foretold in Scripture. And therefore, we can take courage. Even in the midst of the upheavals of the present time, we can take courage to work and build for his kingdom. We must not do as some early Christians did and say, well, he's coming soon, so let's sit back and hope he comes tomorrow. In the meanwhile, they did very little for the cause of Jesus Christ. And that is not the way to go. If we long for his coming, if we pray for his return, we will also do everything we can to advance the cause of our king in our society today. Your kingdom come. That means, Lord, allow me to build something for you in this world. And so we work we work at Reformed family life. We work at Reformed church life. We seek to spread the reform that is the biblical influence in all areas of life, such as education, such as the public square, politics, for everything done for Jesus Christ in whatever area of life will bear fruit now and forever. He rules and he's sovereign. And therefore, even all the opposition and hatred of the evil one must in the end serve the purpose of Jesus Christ because he's in control. And therefore, we do whatever our hand finds to do because we work in confidence that our Lord is king. Your kingdom come. Yes, it is coming in perfection. May we show something of your rule, O Lord, here now already, 
And may we therefore also gather with you the people of the kingdom. Indeed, preserve and increase your church, the Catechism says. Well, if we live for the day of Jesus Christ, then we realize that God also expects us to spread the word, the word of his dominion, the word of his rule. He also expects us to gather with him and to confront others with his rule. If we realize that we live in the last age and that Jesus, our Lord, is hastening to come back to save and to judge, then we look at our neighbors differently. Will they be gathered with him to glory at his coming? Or will they be judged without ever having heard our testimony? And so we seek to gather with him the church. Our God and King, our bridegroom is coming. Everything must be ready. We must be ready. He's on his way. When we realize that, then the prayer for his coming becomes a life reality. Then we live from that fact and work towards his coming. And then, oh, it cannot be otherwise, but then our whole life becomes orientated to that future event. And that brings us very briefly to our second point, the future hope. As a bride longing and working hard towards her wedding day, we too may live and work for that great tomorrow when he comes on the clouds of heaven. Are we doing that? Are we working for that great tomorrow? Is our life a living embodiment of what a bride is like, expectantly awaiting her bridegroom with love and devotion and getting everything ready? Or do you say, well, I never really have that longing for that great day? If we really can't pray, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly, then how we are to be most pitied. For then one must wonder whether one is then not married to this world rather than being betrothed to the Lamb of God. Then one must wonder whether one has really sensed the joy of knowing Jesus Christ. We do, of course, have our task here in this world. And we must do our task here in this world as well as possible. But let that not be the end all of everything let us not labor and live for the things of this world as the ultimate goal. Because this world is passing away. If we are orientated and married to the things of this world, then we can't be orientated and engaged and betrothed to our great bridegroom and to that which is to come. The bride, by definition, yearns and longs for the wedding day. For the bridegroom, if that yearning is not there, then that relationship is not very deep. And then one can start to wonder. Belonging to the bride of Christ, that is, belonging to the church, is not just for old and sick people who have no future here anyway and who start wishing that the Lord Jesus would hurry up and come back because life here is finished anyhow. No, 
The bride who longs for the bridegroom includes the young and the ambitious who work hard for the future here also. It includes the healthy and the strong. The bride includes all those who know that our life here on earth is in vain unless it is done in love for the king and his kingdom. For Christ is coming, and that is the central fact of our life to keep in mind and to reckon with, whether we're young or old. Christ is coming, and with him comes a new creation, a new world. For the kingdom, holy and perfect, will then be a reality. If we don't work and live with a view to that reality, we're basically working and living in vain. He comes. Glorious will be that day. Imagine. There'll be no more sin. Can we imagine what that is? No more sin. There'll be no more hardships. No more sickness. No more crying. No more sadness. No more graves. Only joy. The intense joy and happiness as one can experience on the wedding feast of a bride and the bridegroom. And therefore, although the coming of our Lord will involve many trials, tears, and hardships in one form or another, in our personal lives, in our life as a nation, yet may the spirit of Pentecost enable us so that the spirit and the bride may continue to say, come, so that we may always and again beseech, come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha. Yes, for if we do that, then our lives and hearts will always live in the hope of his coming. Then we will always be orientated to him, who is, after all, our joy, our hope, our future, now and forever. Yes, for he is coming. He's on his way to usher in his church, the bride, his bride. He has to usher you and me into his kingdom. Amen.